Asbury College Seminary, there's been a, a, a move of God with uh, nonstop prayer um, and worship and um, people interacting with God and God interacting with them. And there's, there's a whole bunch of things that could be said, and I, I'm not going to get into all the different aspects of perspective. I will just say I'm wide open for all the conversations and all the questions. Um, please don't um, hold back. Um, from asking things, but I watched uh, the chapel service that um, right before it began, that led into the beginning, and some of the stories from some of the students that were there at the beginning, and then since uh, last night had also some communication from one of our network uh, pastors and apostles who was there yesterday, Um, and so I just want to say a couple real brief things. It was amazing, the beginning chapel service message from Romans 12, 9 through 21, with a really practical, this is how we love each other, which was last Sunday's message. And the last comments that went into the time of prayer focused on God, focused on the love of God. Focused on God's love changing us because the world needs God's love. And I grew up in a church started in uh, 1953 by a baker's dozen group of uh, people that had lived through World War II and had been shaped by what was called the Latter-day Rain Movement. And that faithful group of people stewarded the church like we have stewarded this church the last 12 years. And then God brought in a group of people, including my parents, that were in the late 60s and the early 70s shaped by what was called the Jesus People Movement. And as they walked it out, ours was a church that was never given to hype. And never given to sensationalism. And where you would find passionate worship and simple, practical Bible teaching. And then when Rebecca and I were in college, it was another move of God. Some people call it the charismatic renewal. And we were shaped, we were changed by, by prayer meetings and, and times of worship and times in God's presence that just didn't stop. We were, we were kicked out of rental facilities and hotels at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no joke. We were in, in, in classes where, where teachers came in with a stack of tests to hand out and the presence of God fell. And for hours and days that followed... Students didn't leave the classrooms and the hallways and the cafeteria and the classes stopped. There's so much that can be said and that's that's not what this is about. God is doing a new thing. And there is something familiar. And we're going to read a little bit about it from our text today. But 
I want to say be open. And just focus on your relationship with God. Let us not fall prey to the fear of missing out. Comparison is the thief of joy. FOMO is a a thief to a personal relationship with God. God loves you. God has been saying for months, he's going to do a new thing. We want to be faithful and we want to be open to what God wants to do. I'm here for all the questions, for all the dialogue. I want to turn to the the teaching of Jesus. Sound like a good idea? (laughs) This year we've been focusing on Jesus every Sunday and, 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 and with a plan to do that all the way through Easter. A real simple focus on Jesus. And today I want to turn to where Jesus starts to teach. Think about this. It it was revealed to John that Jesus had always existed. Prior to his human birth, Jesus was with God. Jesus was always present. And now Jesus has come to the earth to bring about salvation, good news, to announce the kingdom of God, to announce this new covenant, this new love promise from God. And he's lived a very normal life, and he's already done some miracles. And the crowds have started to gather. And Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, Savior, starts to teach. I wonder if this morning we could lean in and want to hear what Jesus has to say. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. (laughs) This is the introduction to the teaching. And Jesus is actually using a literary device, a a method, a a spoken word kind of method that was common to the Greeks and the Jews at the time. It was kind of like this, be like that. It really was. It was like this, be like that. It, it, was, it was a way that teachers would, would, would say something that was memorable, stuff that would get debated in the open public circle, and they would teach a principle, a truth. They would say something in a way that people could easily remember. And it, 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 would, it could be things like, blessed is the person 
who's single because they have time to do what they want to do. It could be stuff like blessed is the person who's married because they always have someone with them. Blessed is the parent because there's always mouths to feed. It could be a number of different things. But um, for them, this be like that would also have been, it would have included because. And so it, it could have easily for them included something like Romans be victorious because of their military. And, and, and the title of today's message is Plot Twist. And I want to say something to you. The teaching of Jesus is relevant to us today because there's a plot twist coming. There's a plot twist coming in your life. There's a plot twist coming in this city. There's a plot twist coming in this church. But Jesus takes what you would think would be logical and he puts a twist on it. He takes their method of this be like that. And he says things that are unexpected. But not only that, he says things like God blesses those who are poor in spirit. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And the scholars note that the beginning and the end of this, it's the same benefit. It's the same thing God at work because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And Matthew in particular often didn't use the phrase kingdom of God. He would use, which was probably because of his Jewish culture and Jewish training. And he, instead he used the phrase kingdom of heaven. And heaven in the singular, which is to refer to the kingdom of God. You'll notice in the New Testament when you see the heavens, plural, it's usually just referring to the spiritual realm in general. But in the singular, king, kingdom of of heaven, it's referring specifically to the kingdom of God. But while the scholars, what the Jesus followers and the ancient Christians for centuries have actually believed that because Jesus puts for the kingdom of heaven is theirs at the beginning and the end, that the whole section of Beatitudes is actually saying kingdom of God people be like this and God be like that to them. Faithful scholarship. Let's go back and if you, oh, do I have it? I'm sorry. My fault. You didn't have it on the screen. We're going to go back. There you go. Plot twist. All right. Now, let's go, let's go back through it. And I want to do two things. We're going to go back through it two times in the next 10 minutes. And this first time, I want you to think about the people that Jesus is describing. What, what are their characteristics? What's their state of being? What are they doing? Are you with me? All right, let's, let's think about the, the people that Jesus is describing. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Is also righteousness can be translated both ways there. They will be satisfied. God blesses the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So let's, let's think about these people. What are they like? And that the, I'm sorry, I meant to mention that this word blessed, some people would translate it as happy. It would be 
People who are happy because God approves of them. Jesus is saying God approves. God blesses. He puts his blessing on them. And so they're happy. Now let's go forward. Let's look at these phrases, these words of these people. So what do you see? Someone talk to me. What, what would you say about these people? What, what are they like? Anyone? We see the words on the screen that Jesus used to describe them. How would you describe them? Teachable. Teachable. Sorry, Eileen, say it again. Marginalized. Yeah, that's accurate. Ben, was that you? Huh? Compassionate. Mm-hmm. They're aware of other people's suffering. They enter the suffering of others with them. Weak. Yeah, especially when we take the, the perspective of like the average person and the words that Jesus is using. Yeah, not strong per se in a physical or financial or political sense. Jesus followers. Jesus followers. Yeah, exactly right. There is, there is something profound that's going on there. I want to look at um, a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor, who, uh, an Episcopal priest who's been recognized as 12 most effective preachers in the U.S. back in the 90s. Here's what she writes about this. Jesus redefined the good life in nine short sentences and held them out for everyone to see. The portraits of kingdom people, previously known as victims, dreamers, pushovers, and fools. These are the chosen ones, he said. The blessed ones who shall see God face to face. These are the happy ones, the lucky ones who shall be satisfied, not because they got an advanced copy of the rules and played by them to win, but because winning was the farthest thing from their minds. The kingdom of God, people. You know what I see? I see gracious humility. I think it's critical. I think it's what God desires. Gracious humility meaning that they're not living out of lack. Their primary motive, their primary way that they would see themselves define their own life is not out of lack. It's not focused on the need. It's not focused on the problem. They're graced. They realize that God has more than enough. And their humility, in humility is having an accurate, healthy estimation of who I am and who God is and who the other people are around me. I think what we also see is people who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice. Those are two essential characteristics of God talked about over and over in the Old Testament. Righteousness is a right-standing, healthy way of treating other humans. And justice. And, and then we also see purity of heart. And one way that I think we could characterize that is that within themselves, there is a conformity to God's will. They're bringing themselves in a regular basis, on a, on a regular basis. I want to bring, be brought into alignment with God. I want to be brought into alignment with God and what God has said. One of my favorite authors, D.A. Carson, in his book, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and His Confrontation of the World, writes this about that. Purity of heart 
must never be confused with outward conformity to rules. Because it is the heart which must be pure. This beatitude interrogates us with awkward questions like these. What do you think about when your mind slips into neutral? To what do you pay consistent allegiance? What do you want more than anything else? To what extent are your actions and words accurate reflections of what's in your heart? To what extent do your actions constitute a cover-up for what's in your heart? And he goes on to say this, which I found incredibly relevant to what I believe is happening right now. I am persuaded that the Spirit of God, that should the Spirit of God usher in another period of refreshing revival in the Western world, one of the earliest signs of it will be that admission of spiritual bankruptcy, which finds its satisfaction in God and His righteousness, and goes on to be richly merciful to others. It's D.A. Carson of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Humility, being quick to when I recognize something's wrong, something's unhealthy, there's a, something unhealthy, there's a self-medicating on something that's not good, that's going on, that, that's contributing to toxic selfishness inside of me, being quick to confess that thing is wrong, make a commitment to turn away from it, asking God for his forgiveness and his grace, because through Jesus, it freely comes. I think that's one of the signs we read that Jesus is talking about. People who are poor in spirit recognize their need for God. They're merciful to others because they have already been shown mercy. That's what the love of God means. It's also interesting here among the benefits being called sons of God, and it's actually the sons of God that, that is the accurate translation of Jesus' words there. It references people who partake in God's character. It's Jesus' followers. Jesus is saying other people will look at them and say, you're, you're, you're God-like. And in fact, this word that Jesus uses, blessed, was actually used by Homer and other Greek authors who wrote about a happiness that was characterized as a happiness of the gods, their gods. Jesus uses a word that was like happiness that's transcendent, that's not human, that is like next level. Let's go back to the text. Let's go back to the, to the beginning of the passage. And now I want you to focus on God. Let's read it and focus on what Jesus is teaching about who God is and what God is doing. What's God's state of being and what is God doing for these kingdom of God people? Are you with me? All right. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who are mourned, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Jesus talked about a day that would yet come when he would return, when God would remake, would make new this earth. And the city of our God, which he is preparing, would be revealed. This earth is going to be remade in the future. And guess who's going to inherit the whole earth? Those who are humble. What is God doing? God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. 
There's a plot twist coming. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So, what do you see? Who is God? What's God's state of being? What is God doing? Anyone? Okay, go back. There we go. Go back one. Oh, no, forward one, sorry. No, back. There you go. One more. One more. Back one more. Okay. That one. one. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So now we have the phrases on the screen focused on what God is doing for these people, to these people, God's state of being. What, What do you see that Jesus is teaching about God and God's interaction? Right. God must own the whole earth in order to be able to give it away. <laughs> His care for others. Mm-hmm. Generous. Generous. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Things are not what they seem in the long run. Yeah, there's a plot twist coming. There's a spiritual reality which is not obvious to us when we look with natural eyes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. Right, there's a closeness with God. God makes himself available. God desires a, a close relationship. That's, that's what God is doing now and what God will yet do. Anyone else? He's faithful. God can be depended on. There's a plot twist coming. You know, there's something else about this that's so important. Jesus, and I think this is why his followers in the rest of the New Testament use this particular Greek grammar, which is this, this has been done, it's been accomplished, this is happening now, and this will yet be done. Jesus uses the same grammar with these phrases that he's talking about. Jesus is teaching. I think that Jesus has this introduction to his teaching because he's saying these are promises that are central to what I'm talking about in the kingdom of God. It's a plot twist. It's not what you expect. It may not be consistent with your daily human experience, but it is available. It can be your experience here and now, and it will yet be totally and completely fulfilled when Jesus returns. There is a day coming where what Jesus describes will be complete. It is both heaven can come here and now, and it is, it is coming. And Jesus also here is painting a picture that Ben references of a time when we can be with God in a way that is uninterrupted. Unencumbered, unhindered. Not harassed. Undistracted. There is a time coming. What God desires is that relationship uninterrupted.
What will God yet do? God blesses. People who walk with gracious humility in following Jesus. <laughs> there is something better that's yet coming. Do you know what the, the, the dentist's greatest enemy is? The now and later. Or you might say job, source of job security. <laughs> the now and later candy. There's few, few, few things out there that will stick sugar to your teeth better than the now and later. <laughs> here, here, here's the thing about the, the mistakes of, of toxic selfishness. It might feel good now, but they feel bad later. Well, here's the thing about the kingdom of God. It's good now, and it's better later. God is good all the time. Come on, say it. All the time, God is good. God is doing something now, and he's going to do something later. God's calling people into gracious humility. God's calling followers to lean into this teaching from Jesus. And a plot twist is coming. A plot twist is coming. It's both here and now for us to invite into our lives here and now, and it will yet be revealed, ultimately. It's in every moment. Let us not look to the future or somewhere else and let that ruin what's happening right now. Yeah. <coughs> so what, what do we learn? What do, what do we learn from this? Let's, let's just crystallize it so that, we don't, so that we can actually walk out of here with something that, that lasts. What do we learn? Well, those who look to God with faith-filled, gracious humility will be blessed. Those who look to God with faith-filled, gracious humility will be blessed. Here and now and later. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. In my spiritual excitement about this Sunday and the days that, that come for us, I've been laughing a whole lot more than I've been crying. Because I can't wait. <laughs> I've seen it before. We'll see it again. So what should we do? What, what, what should we do? Read. Reflect on. Prayerfully consider your response to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, 1 through 10. Let's do something about it today. Tomorrow. This week. Read this teaching from Jesus. Matthew 5, 1 through 10. Reflect on it. Think about it. Give it time. Give it more time than whatever you're binging. Ask God what you should do about it. Ask God what it means. Ask God what your action plan, what one step. Typically, if it's us, if it's the flesh, it's a, a to-do list that's way too complicated, just makes us feel shame and guilt. <laughs> Typically, if it's the Holy Spirit, there's one simple action step because the Holy Spirit is patient. That's what we should do. I want to close with just a, a prayer. Black History Month, one of our examples from black history. Uh, Maria W. Stewart, who lived 1803 to 1879, was the earliest known 
African-American woman to lecture in public on political themes and leave extant copies of her text. She, her first publication, a 12-page pamphlet entitled Religion and the Pure Principles of Morality in 1831, revealed her distinctive style, a mix of political analysis and religious exhortation. Her message, highly controversial coming from the pen of a woman, called upon African-Americans to organize against slavery in the South and to resist racist restrictions in the North. She invoked both the Bible and the Constitution of the United States as documents proclaiming a universal birthright to freedom and justice. Stewart moved to Washington, D.C. later on in her life. There she established a school for children of families that had escaped slavery during the war, and later she became the head matron at Freedmen's Hospital. She was literally one of the most shaping female authors in that 50-year period. But here's a prayer from her that I read that I found relevant to us this week. She, she often prayed on this theme of asking God for holy zeal. And, and in 1835, she, she prayed this. O oh, thou sin-forgiving God, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Lord, I am sick and full of diseases. If thou wilt Thou canst make me clean. Though my sins have been as scarlet, thou canst make, me, make them wool. And, and thou, though they be red like crimson, thou canst make them whiter than snow. Were it not that there is a sufficiency in, in thy blood to atone for the vilest, the view of my past sins and transgressions would sink me in despair. But thou hast said, him that cometh to thee, thou wilt in no ways cast out. Lord, I come, pleading alone the merits of my Redeemer. Not only for myself do I plead, but for the whole race of mankind, especially for the benighted sons and daughters of Africa. Do thou loose their bonds and let the oppressed go free. Bless thy churches throughout the world. Great that the time may come soon that all may know thee from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Fire our souls with a holy zeal for thy cause. Let us not rest at ease in Zion, whilst souls are perishing for lack of knowledge. Wilt thou increase our number and such and such only as shall be saved? Dispel every gloomy fear that pervades my mind and enable me to hope in thy mercy and to thee I will ascribe praises everlasting. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are here with us. God, that you are available living to live inside us every day, constantly available to us wherever we go this week. Help us to truly make sense of the teachings of Jesus. Help them to be real, life-giving, transformative to us as we read and reread these Beatitudes. Lord, birth in us a spiritual anticipation for the plot twist that you're, that you're bringing. Help us to hear your voice very clearly, to see you, Lord, to live out of that love that you give. Thank you, God, that anything is possible with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Hey, thank you so much for being here today. I want us to love on somebody else. Meet someone, introduce yourself, share God's love with them, smile, exchange contact information, talk about something you're going to do this week. Let's enjoy today because it's a beautiful day. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.